Well, today we are, we are starting a new series, and so for the next several weeks, we're going to go through a book in the Bible, and uh, it's uh, the book of Philemon. So uh, you might say, well, where in the world is that? So it's right before the book of Hebrews and the New Testament. A lot of people are wondering, how do you say that? So some say Philemon. Um, I was on the, uh, sitting some, by some of the youth, and they thought it was Philemon. And uh, so that is, that is not it. It's Philemon. So we're going to be looking in Philemon. We'll look in verse number one in just a few moments. But uh, as we go through this, uh, this book, I thought the best way for us to start out the book is to sort of figure out what's the book about, who's being talked to here, how does it apply to our lives, uh, how does it help us become who God wants us to be. And so that's where our focus is going to be on today, what it's going to be on today. Uh, but there was, a, there was a Reader's Digest contributor who told a funny, a funny story about sending the wrong message. He said he and his wife were eating at a Chinese restaurant, and they had the menu out, and so they were looking at the menu, and there was some Chinese you know, letter, there's some Chinese lettering on the menu. So my wife really liked it, and so she took a picture of it, and uh, she was a lady who likes to knit, and so she went home and she knit a sweater with those Chinese characters on the, on the front of the sweater. Now, she had no idea what it said. She just thought it was pretty, and so she wore the sweater to a Christmas party. And so she's walking around the Christmas party. There happened to be a man from China that was there. And he walked over to her and said, well, where did you get your sweater? And so she looked at him and she said, well, I actually, I actually made it myself. She's very proud of herself. And he said, well, where did you get those letters there? And she said, well, believe it or not, I was eating at a Chinese restaurant. And I just really liked the letters. And, I, and I, so I put them on this sweater. And he said, do you know what it says? And she said, well, actually, I don't. She said, do you know what it says? He said, well, I, I do. She said, well, what does it say? He said, it says, cheap, but good. Now, now that was a lady who was trying to, she, was, she sent a message that she really didn't want to send. He said, so it's a kind of a funny story. He said, but before you decide that you're going to wear something or you're going to talk about something, he said, it's always a good idea to know what it's about first. And, and that's why we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon and trying to, trying to figure out exactly, before we talk about the book, what exactly it's all about, trying to figure out who it's, what it's trying to teach, who it's being written to, what it means for us. And so I always think that it's very important whenever you're looking in Scripture is to know the context of the Scripture, to know what it's about because it, it makes all the difference in the world. And so I want us to look and see who this book is to, what, what the audience is all about. And so that's why we're going to look in the first seven verses. And whenever Paul wrote this letter, uh, if you've been in church long, you're, you're not going to be surprised to know that when he wrote this letter, he was in prison. And uh, he was in his first imprisonment in Rome whenever he wrote this letter. And this book was written, of course, the name of the book is Philemon. And so it was written to a man named Philemon. And here's the background of the story. Uh, Philemon, had a, he owned a slave whose name was Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away. Now, whenever he ran away, he stole from his master. Somehow, he ran away from, from a, a, an area in Greece, and he ended up in Rome, which is where Paul was in prison at the time. And somehow, he came into contact with Paul. Paul, being the kind of man that he was, he told Philemon about Jesus. And he told him how he could become free in Christ. And so, all of a sudden, Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, he's a thief, and he becomes a follower of God. And so Paul finds out his background, and then Paul says, hey, listen, and this I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, he said, what you need to do is you need to go back to your former owner, to your owner, and I'm going to write this letter, 
and I want you to deliver this letter to him. He said, because we've got to make things right. Now, that is the background of this letter. It's about a runaway slave, and he's going back to his master, and in the letter, Paul's going to encourage the master to offer forgiveness to his slave. Now, that's the background of the letter, but to have a fuller understanding of the letter, I want us to take a look at the audience to whom this letter was being written. And so let's just take a look at a few things that I think we need to know about this letter as for the re- really the rest of this month, we're going to be looking in this book. And so here's a few things we need to know. The first thing we need to know is who the recipients of the letter were. And, and you find out if you look in verse number one, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Okay, in those first two verses, we learn some pretty simple stuff, but it's important. First thing we know, or we learn, is that Paul is the guy who wrote this letter. Verse number one. Paul identifies himself. He says, I am a prisoner of Jesus. Now, whenever he says he's a prisoner, y'all, he's not speaking uh, metaphorically. Uh, he really is. He is a prisoner. He's in prison because of his faith in Jesus. But you can see now that we know Paul wrote it. Now we're going to see who he wrote the letter to. And if you look into those first two verses, who is it written to? Starts off, he says, Philemon, Aphia, and Archippus. And he says this letter is also addressed to the church that meets in Philemon's home. Okay, so then here's the question for me. Who in the world are all these people? Well, Philemon was a man that Paul knew. Uh, We don't know how he knew him, but more than likely, he was a man that came into contact with Paul. Paul wrote another letter called Colossians, and so this is where Philemon lives. More than likely, Paul led Philemon into a relationship with Jesus as well. Uh, In verse number 19 of the book of Philemon, Paul said to him, he said, you owe me even your own self. So it's pretty evident that Paul had a great deal of influence in the life of this man. Uh, we also know that Philemon, he was, a, he was a rich guy. Had to be pretty wealthy. And we know this because, one, he had, a, he had at least one slave. And so if you were a person who owned slaves, you, you had to have means to be able to take care of them. Now, we can get into the whole issue of slavery here, but we're not going to. That's a whole different issue. But we know that he was a wealthy man because of this. We also know that he was a wealthy man because there was a church that met in his house. So he was a guy who owned a house. Um, that church buildings did not come into existence until the second century. So whenever you met for church, you would show up at somebody's house. Now, I'm sure that you're probably thinking, well, I'm glad that is not true today. Can, I mean, can you imagine every Sunday having a group of people like us just coming into your house? Uh, that there's only a few people that could house somebody like that. You know, probably Matt Weems. I mean, his house is humongous, so he could, he could house us. So that they met in his house. So what does this mean? It means that Philemon was a guy who had money. So that's the first guy, so that's Philemon. The letter was also written to somebody named Aphia. Now, if you're thinking about naming your future child uh, Aphia, you need to know that's a woman's name. So you just put that down in the back of your mind. So it's a lady's name. So who is she? It's Philemon's wife. I mean, this letter, it's, it's dealing with a household ma- a matter. 
And so, as we all know, women, pretty much, they are in charge of the household. So she's addressed in this letter. Then the last person mentioned, or the, the, yeah, the last person is Archippus. And he was the son of Philemon and Aphia. Uh, Paul called him a soldier in our verse that we just read. Now, it's not speaking of a military soldier. He's a guy who's a follower of Jesus. He was a soldier of Christ. He's mentioned again in the Bible in Colossians 4.17, where Paul said, And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. So he was a guy who was helping his dad in the ministry. Philemon was the pastor of this church. And then the last recipient of the letter, he said, and also it's to the church that meets in Philemon's house. And so I thought that was kind of interesting to me. As I'm reading through this, Paul is dealing with a runaway slave who's run away from Philemon's household. And so Paul's writing the letter to them. Now, that makes sense to me. But then he says, but it's also to the church. Now, why is the church getting in on the business of Philemon? And, and so here's, I think there's a couple of reasons. One reason why is because Onesimus has, has now, the slave, has now become a follower of Jesus. He's returning back to the town where he used to live. And Paul wants the church to know when he comes back, this man is a follower of Jesus. He's a Christian. So when he comes into the church, don't treat him as a slave. Treat him as a brother in Christ. So he wants them to be aware to have a welcoming committee for this guy whenever he returns back to Colossae. But I think there's another reason why the church was in on this letter. And I think it was a way that Paul could put a little bit of pressure on Philemon to say, hey, listen, the whole church knows your situation now, and now what I want you to do is to forgive. He he wanted the church to know in order to impress upon Philemon, there are going to be people watching you to see how you deal with this issue. And here's what I know. I know that whenever I'm being observed... When I'm being watched, it makes a difference in the way I behave. Now, here's the question. Is that true for you? When you know that people are watching you, does it tend to help you make good decisions or bad ones? I know when I'm being observed, I tend to do things a little bit more by the book. And we all do that. When when you are driving down, as a matter of fact, there are times when you can be driving past our church and when you drive by and you see that Richland County Sheriff's Department car sitting there, what do you do when you're driving? You slam on your brakes if you drive like my wife, right? So, I mean, you slow down because you know you're being observed. Okay, guys, whenever your wife has been out of town for a few days, and she is coming home to the house that you've been in all by yourself. And you know the day she's coming home, what do you do before she gets home? You do the dishes, you do the laundry, you vacuum, you actually take the dogs out of that crate that you've left them in for four days. I mean, you do everything because you know you're getting ready to be observed. Whenever you're observed, it changes your behavior. That's what Paul's doing here in our letter. He's saying, I am letting the church know the situation so that they will be watching you, and I hope it will encourage you to do the right thing, which is to forgive. A slave who has run away from you, a slave 
who has stolen from you. When people observe you, it changes you. There was a, there's an actually scientific study that was done in order to prove this. It was a new, at Newcastle University in England. They did a study uh, with, with students to see how would their behavior be modified when they were being watched. And so what they did is they went into the cafeteria. Normally with college students, what they'll do is they will eat, and they will, a lot of times they will leave their trays out, and they just they go into class, they just they litter. And so they, they went around, and they put up these posters in the cafeteria that were about eye level, and they were just simply posters of eyes. That was it. When the posters were up, something really interesting happened. The students, the students were twice as likely to pick up after themselves when the posters were up as opposed to when they were down. There was just simply that feeling that they were being observed and it modified their behavior. And I really believe that is what Paul was doing here. Saying, you need to understand, you are being watched. You're being observed. So make good choices. Guys, I want you to know, you are being watched. People are watching you. People are paying attention to you. So make good choices. So whenever I look into our text, I I, I see some things we need to know. We need to know who the recipients of the letter were. So it was a family, and it was a church. But another thing we need to know about this letter is how they practice their faith. Uh, now look with me in, in verses 4 and 5. And this, Paul points out how they were practicing their faith. In verse 4, Paul wrote to Philemon. He said, I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord, uh, toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, Jesus said in Matthew seven sixteen, you shall know them, you shall know who my people are by the fruits they produce. In other words, if you want to know what is important in someone's life, or even in your own life, if you want to know what you really believe in, don't take a look at the words that a person says. You take a look at their actions. You know, we all know that, that, that old saying, you know, actions speak louder than words. Is that true or not? I mean, we, there's a lot of times when we can say stuff and it sounds good, but we don't back it up by our practice. Now, that's why we hear so many people say, you know, I, I don't go to the church because there's so many hypocrites there. You know, I, I look at people who say that they love Jesus, but whenever I really begin to observe their lives and I observe what they do, I'd have to say that it, that it seems like they love themselves more than they love Jesus. Well, what kind, of a, what kind of a testimony did the guy being written to have? What kind of a testimony did Philemon have? You know, what, what did, not what did he preach, but what did he live? And if you look in verses 4 and 5, it looked like he did pretty well. In verses 4 and 5, Paul said, I thank God for him because I hear of your love towards Jesus and I hear of your love towards other believers. Now, in the Greek language in which this book was written, the word love, it, you know, we have one word for love. It's love. In the Greek language, there's four different words for love. Uh, there's phileo love in the Greek. And that means, that means brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Now, that's, that's in, maybe in speech, maybe not in action so much. But Philadelphia, that's where they get it, phileo love. Then there's storge love. And that is the kind of love that a parent has, a natural love that a parent has for their child. Uh, There is eros love. And that is a physical love. 
It's where we get the word erotic. But the highest love is agape love. And that is the kind of love that is unconditional. You love someone no matter what they do, no, no matter how they perform. It is a divine love. Paul said, this is what he said about Philemon. He said, Philemon, you have a divine love. A divine love towards God. You have a d- divine love towards, towards those who are followers of Jesus. And now what Paul is doing, he's saying, now I want you to have that kind of a love for Onesimus. The slave who ran away from you. The slave who stole from you. He said, I want you to love him. Now, slavery in the Roman Empire, was, it was very regular. As a matter of fact, there were, it is estimated that during this time period, there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. This is mind-blowing. 60 million slaves. Furthermore, Roman law provided very little protection for those who were slaves. The owners pretty much could treat them as they pleased. And if you ran away, Roman law would allow the slave owner to put his slave to death if he so chose. So, you see why Paul's writing this letter now? Philemon has the right to put his slave to death if he ever comes back to him. Can you imagine now how scared Onesimus would be? Paul says, deliver this letter back to your slave owner. Who can put you to death if he wants to? So you go ahead and send it. So go, so go ahead and go back. I mean, it's quite a predicament this guy's in, but it's interesting. He's like, but I, I want to make things right because of my God. And so he goes back. And so Paul writes this letter to him. Now, did, do you think Philemon just naturally wanted to forgive? I mean, how do you naturally do you guys naturally want to forgive people when they do you wrong? I I'll be honest with you, not me. You know, when somebody does me wrong, my natural desire is I, I want my pound of flesh. I'm like usually about four or five pounds. Now that's my that is my natural desire. But Paul says, you don't go with your nature, you go with your God. You offer forgiveness. Now, now what kind of a guy was, was Philemon? Well, it, it looks like he was a pretty good guy. I mean, he, he was the leader of the church. He was known for being a loving man. But in this instance, he had the law on his side. He could treat his slave any way he wanted to. And here's what's interesting to me. Paul said, I know you have the legal right to do whatever you want with your runaway slave. He said, but I'm appealing to you, not according to the law, but I am appealing to you in grace and mercy. And Paul later on goes on to say, and don't you ever forget that that is the way that God has treated you with grace and mercy. Do you know that by law, there's a lot of things that we can do that are legal? By law, but not by God's. You know, in our country today, by law, it is okay for a woman during a certain period of time to have an abortion. Now, that's by law. But Christians, we have a higher law. We follow the law of God. And the law of God tells us that life is precious. That life matters. That it is a gift 
from God. And whenever we break that law, we break ranks with God. We have law today that lets us know that it's okay for, for adults of a certain age, consenting adults, to have a sexual relationship. You won't be breaking the law if you do that. But, but if you're a Christian, we live according to a higher law, the law of God, which tells us that that is a relationship that is only to be reserved for those who are within marriage. And to break that law, the law of God, puts you outside of God's blessings. So that's why in our text, Paul did not appeal to Philemon to keep the law. He said, I want you to go beyond the law. He said, I'm appealing to you in grace and mercy. And I think we need to be reminded of that. I know I do. You know, did you know that when you become a follower of Jesus, you give up your rights? You give up your rights. You know, so many times I think, you know what? He has offended me. He has bothered me. He has hurt my feelings. And I want my rights. You don't have any rights if you belong to Jesus. Now, how can you say that? That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Paul wrote, Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? He says, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in your body. Now, I read a, a cool story a couple of weeks ago. It's about a, a young man named Scott Dunn. He's a senior in high school. He was in a car accident that left him in a coma. Uh, when he woke up from the coma, it was a medically induced coma, he woke up and he realized he had missed his high school graduation. He was devastated that he missed his graduation. principal went to visit the family and said the students of the school would like to do something special for Scott. They would like to reenact the graduation ceremony all over again just for Scott. Half the class ended up participating in it. And so they did. They, they went back to the school gym. They did pomp and circumstance. Scott led them down the aisle. They said the students sat down. It was a really short graduation. So they sat down, and they called Scott's name, and he walked across the stage. And the principal gave him his diploma, and all the students stood up and cheered for him. And I thought, isn't that cool? Now, those students didn't have to do that. But you know why they did it? Because they cared for Scott. Because he was their classmate. They wanted to honor him. Now, now Paul was calling on Philemon to do something that he didn't have to do. That's to forgive. That's to receive him back as a brother instead of a slave. And I thought about that, and I thought, what a great testimony if he would actually do it. And that made me think, well, what is my testimony? You know, what, what is your testimony? What do your actions say about you? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes you need to be reminded that you no longer belong to yourself, but now you belong to God who bought you at a price. Therefore, honor him in your body, the way that you live. Here's what we know about the letter. We know, we know the recipients of the letter. We know how they practice their faith. Now we're going to see the effect of their faith. You know how your faith, when you follow Jesus and you, you live out his word, how it makes a difference in other people's lives. In verse number 6, Paul said, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you 
brother. Now, if you ever want to get better at something, whether it be, you know, uh, golf or exercise or your job, if you're going to get better, it, it takes practice. You have to practice it. You know, there's, there's that saying, a practice makes perfect. That is absolutely true. Well, we look into our text. We find Philemon was a guy who practiced his faith. Verses 4 and 5, Paul said, I thank God for you because of the love you have for God and your love for other believers. And because he practiced his faith, it had an effect on the people that were around him. He was a respected man. There was a group of people who received his love. It made a difference in their lives. And I look at that, and it's a reminder to me that my faith and your faith is to be practiced. It's not something that you hide. It's not something that you do privately. You practice your faith in order to bless other people. It it is very much a faith that is to be out in the open. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian who tries to make it all on his own. See, whenever you become a part of God's family, the Bible says you become a part of the body of Christ. Now, if you're a part of the body of Christ, that means that, that you have a function to fulfill. And the body works best whenever it works with the other parts of the body, right? I mean, just think about that with your own human body. You know, the, the hand doesn't do things independently of the rest of the body. It doesn't just go off on its own. You know, it, it works in conjunction with the rest of the body so that it can achieve things. Now, we look at Philemon. Philemon, he practiced his faith. What did it do? It says it encouraged others. The word encourage, it means to comfort Paul said, he talked about the unconditional love that he had towards other believers. Now, whenever you unconditionally love people, did you know it brings them comfort? I mean, now think about that. In your, in your own life, when you know that your spouse or your children or some of the friends that you have or your parents, when you know that they, you know that they will love me regardless of what I do and how I live, they're going to love me. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great comfort for you? To know that I I don't have to perform in order to get somebody to love me. Now, if I have to perform all the time, perform well all the time, so that that those people that are closest to me will love me, then that is is a ton of pressure. Unconditional love is the kind of love that says, regardless of how you live, I will love you. Now, this is not saying that if you see those that you love and they are, they are living ungodly lives, that you just agree with everything because you just want to keep peace. But if you really love them, you will, in a loving way, continue to point them to Jesus because you care for them. Now, if you grew up in a home like mine, there were times whenever my father lovingly pointed me in the right direction when I had wandered off of the path. And it wasn't always fun for me. But I knew some of the things that he did were simply because I knew that he cared for me. Philemon's love for his fellow Christians, it says it refreshed people. It was refreshing to them. Now, I like this word a lot. It is a military term that speaks of an army taking a break after a long march and getting some rest. So I, I think about that. When people got around Philemon and they were tired and they were worn out, it was like they were coming to him, and when they were in his presence, they found rest. They found forgiveness. They found love. They found kindness. They found encouragement. Now, now here's what this means for me, and I think it should mean for us. 
Yeah, when people look at us, when people interact with us, they should find you and me to be rest stops for their lives. There's so many people who just need something. We need rest. There's so many of us who've been, who've been beaten up by life. So many of us who, who have things in our life where we have failed, where we have sinned, and we have an immense amount of guilt. And too many times, all those people find around them is condemnation. And what they need are believers who say, I know, I know who you are, I know the sin that you have, but I want you to know that if you come to me and if I go to you, I give you rest. I will offer you forgiveness. I will offer you kindness. I will point you back to the right road. You know, scientists tell us that the human body needs rest. The average person needs about eight hours of rest every night. If you don't get it and you continue to function with too little sleep, it it affects your body. It affects affects your mind. It's poor performance. You don't sleep well. You're cranky. You're in a bad mood. You don't sleep well on Saturday. Fall asleep in church. That's a big sin. So there's all these different things that happen whenever you don't get whenever you don't get rest. It can, chronic illnesses come in. Same thing's true spiritually. Whenever people don't find rest, when they don't find forgiveness, when they don't find hope, when they don't find love, anger, bitterness creep in. Bad decision follows bad decision. Christians, we can make this world, you can make your family, you can make your workplace a better place when you become a rest stop for people. When people find rest, it enables them to gather strength so they can complete this journey of life. All right, so as we go through the book of Philemon, I, I just think we need to get started off by taking a look at what's this book about? Who's it for? A few things I discover in the book. We learn who the recipients of the letter are, so you know that now. We examine the practice of their faith, and then we see the effects of their faith. Now, now let, me, let me just simply close with this, and then we'll be finished. How well do you practice your faith? You know, are you a rest stop for those who are around you? So I don't know. How do I become a rest stop? Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Join with me in this week in putting your faith to work. How do we do it? Start off by doing this. Pray when you're at work, pray for your workers, pray for your coworkers, pray for your neighbors. I want to encourage you. If, if you know of somebody who needs encouragement in their life, here's a great thing you can do. Write a note giving a word of encouragement to somebody whom you know is down. It's amazing what a handwritten note can do in somebody's life. Another thing you can do, and just simply invite someone to come and worship with you where hopefully they're going to come and they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. Like Philemon, let us become rest stops of grace and mercy forgiveness. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for for this book. And I pray, God, that we will be a church, that we'll be a group of uh, people who will put into practice our faith, where we give love, where we give encouragement, where we give forgiveness, and where we point people to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray 
that when people think of Christians, when they think of Village Church, Lord, that they will look at us and see us as being a people who love others and who love God. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.